You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. I was going to ask you about your Tesla. Ah, that's not. It's almost like I knew this was coming. Come on, man. Big financial mistake. No. Not <laughs> you a- bought the giant depreciable asset. And now here you're going to justify its purchase, just like justifying the drone purchase. So Eric is what Eric is referring to. <laughs> thank you for you buy? completely meeting my expectations. Six years ago, I bought a Tesla Model S, which at the time was the only car they sold. Yeah. Great car, the sedan, phenomenal car. Um, you know, I felt it was a, a reasonable decision, and obviously it was a family decision. I didn't just go buy it and then I was done with it. Show up with it. But you know, I, I spent a lifetime of driving sensible, almost entirely used cars. <laughs> Saturn. Right? When I, had, I remember when I bought, yeah. you were driving a Saturn. Do I drove that Saturn time. for ten years, <laughs> and I put no money into it, other than like a couple of small repairs. That car was so good from a a financial decision perspective. It's crazy. (laughs) The fanciest car I had bought before that was a Prius, right? I've never had, I never had a fancy car, but anyway, I did have a Prius. Oh my God. That's dreadful. Well, I actually traded it in towards the Tesla. That says a lot about who you are at that time. (laughs) I don't think we were friends at that time. (laughs) Look, it's a, it's a financially and environmentally smart decision. (laughs) Anyway, I'll get to the mistake because I didn't, the the Tesla was a fine purchase. Like I feel any luxury car purchase should be, I was able to pay for it right out. I wasn't going to have some seven year loan or ridiculous thing that I see some people do. And it scares, scares me a lot when I see people taking out these long-term car loans, they're just abusive terms. But anyway, the mistake I made was hesitancy and that resulted in some downstream, uh, you know, financial impacts. So I didn't just get the Tesla. I'll explain. (laughs) I didn't just get the Tesla out of the gate. I knew I wanted a battery electric vehicle at that time. There were very few options and the Nissan Leaf was a good option. It was one of the only options oh, for a while. Right. You had one so of those. I leased it. I oh. leased it. A very, fav- very favorable lease terms. So I, <laughs> I got the Leaf. And it had a lot of advantages to me. I could drive in the HOV lane. You know, I could avoid a lot of the bad traffic in the Bay Area. You're setting so this was... up as the financial mistake that wasn't actually a financial mistake. No, it's a mistake. <laughs> it's a mistake. I'm just, I'm just, it's, it's not the simplest story, right? It's not crisp. But... So I got I got the leaf. And then like six months later That's a dumb car, by the way. Yeah, it's a dumb car. <laughs> six months later I got the Tesla anyway. <laughs> so you completely did the, you did the worst thing for the environment possible, it man. Worse. It gets worse. It gets it gets worse. Isn't the I, worst thing about uh, you know the most unenvironmental aspect of those cars? If you're gonna quote from the Koch brothers research, I'm gonna shut this off about the battery. <laughs> the battery. I, no. No, I don't want to go there. I've seen, I've seen, you know and how read many it kids all. die every minute Stop from it. mining lithium. You have conflict minerals all over your house. <laughs> Let's move on. So, I'm burning so, nothing but so fossil we still fuels have, out we here. Still have, we still have the lease on the leaf, and I get the Tesla. Lori has a completely paid off Honda Fit that's probably going to drive like go another 10 years, right? So, what do we do? We sell the Fit. We sell the Fit, she takes the leaf. And she hates the leaf. Yeah. 
So I as soon as why. the lease is up, she gets another car. Wait, was the fit the car that the Honda fit the car that looks like it's wearing like a diaper? It's got a little like a little dump so. in the back. It's got like little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got the little covers on the back wheels, doesn't it? No, I that's, always thought uh, it looked like a diaper. No, that's a different car. It's not that insight. Anyway, it's the insight. <laughs> we got rid of her perfectly good fit that was paid off so that I could get the Tesla and she got the leaf, which is a car she hated. So you all she, lost. No, I won because I got the Tesla, but she <laughs> lost and, and I, I, it was my fault. So, of course, as soon as the, the leaf leases up, now she needs another car. And we wouldn't have had to get another car if we had still had the fit because she really liked the fit. Please tell me you didn't way. buy a fit. <laughs> no, we bought another Tesla. She got a Model 3. <laughs> More batteries. But, but six years later, I traded in the Tesla for another brand new car. So, and this car is going to go at least 10 years, okay. right? It's, it's another Toyota hybrid, right there. It's going to last forever. So I got a, I got a, a RAV4. So, this, you know, the only is thing it, this it, has proven is that you have bad taste in cars. Well, I have practical <laughs> taste in cars, except for the Tesla, which is not practical at all, but it is super fun. Your first anyway, car was the best. There were dumb mistakes in there and, <laughs> yeah. and they're my fault. I don't yeah. think that buying a Tesla was a mistake in any way, shape, or form. I could afford it. It made sense. I had been a good saver. I had been a good investor. Um, and I was in the very fortunate position to be able to do it. But I made a series of downstream dumb decisions as a result of taking that one decision yeah. to buy the Tesla. So, yeah. yeah, it was a mistake. And I, I almost didn't want to talk about this with Lori earlier today. But I, I kind of – we talked through the progression of it. And I, <laughs> I, I know – how much she liked that fit and yeah. she was still willing to give it up to uh get the tesla all so for you, she's man. she's a much better person than me as i tell her all the time anyway did you did you make any dumb auto buying mistakes or are you i make them all the time man. clean no i make them all the time but but um <laughs> now you get to write them off well the, the well I was, I was gonna say the the last <laughs> uh, new car that i bought was last year the jeep which is sitting right yeah. out here and i bought that for a very particular business reason and yeah. The the mistake I made with that is like you really have to do your research on bonus depreciation, for example. So if you yeah. look around, I don't know if you know anything about bonus depreciation, do you? About, about that much. Okay. I, I'm not giving tax advice here or legal advice. Right. This is not, we are not financial Please advisors. Please do your own research. Professionals. But there is a part of the tax code when you're thinking about writing off a vehicle for business use. Uh, it's related to the weight of the vehicle. So any right. vehicle over 6,500 pounds gross weight, that is like, you can't just go and put like 4,000 pounds of sand in the back of your pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I considered that like, well, how could I mod this? Um, but oh, once you get above that weight, then you're yeah. subject, you can write off more of the value of the vehicle. So it's part in part, the reason why you see Many contractors driving $55,000 trucks. Yes. You know, when I, they I have noticed this. Yes. When they're just <laughs> driving like down like a, you know, a paved sidewalk basically to get to the job site. Anyway. Um, so the mistake that I made with this was it's, it doesn't qualify for bonus depreciation. So I bought a pretty expensive vehicle because I like it. It's fun to drive. It's great. Uh, all that, all that good stuff, but it just barely doesn't qualify for the bonus depreciation. Oh, no. So see, I assumed it did. I didn't yeah. know it was that light. Well, see, I could have spent a little bit more oh. and then gotten all of the bonus depreciation. But of course, you know, I mean, I'm still learning. 
<laughs> well, I, I well, yeah, for sure, right? There, there's a lesson right there, right? You're never going to stop learning. Never I stop hope. learning. You know, I mentioned we were living off of Laura's student loans. Yeah. For a couple of years, at least. So we got in, she, she's been working for nonprofits her entire life. So there was this program, this loan forgiveness program uh, that Obama started in 2010. I don't know if you knew about this, but we yeah. were pretty into it because all she had was, you know, federal loans and all she was doing was working for a nonprofit and it was a qualified, right. qualified nonprofits the whole way. And so it's a seven year uh, you have to make seven years of consecutive payments. Um, and so we're like, and then once you get to the end of that seven years, the loan is forgiven. You apply for forgiveness and it's forgiven. And so we just paid the minimum payment for seven years straight. And we got to that end point and we applied to the, the program uh, for forgiveness. And they said, yeah, well, when you consolidated your loans back in 2010, <laughs> day one, basically, um, you used a program that didn't qualify under this program that loan oh, forgiveness no. was set up in. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I'm not kidding you. And oh, we are not I did the not only know one. This. That's a, this is a huge thing. It's very common for people to have gone through this entire seven year repayment period. And, yeah. and so they said, good news is you can start the repayment, you know, any payment you make from here forward. Uh, if you move your loans to this program, it will all be qualified. So you just have another seven years of payments. <laughs> like, oh, no. Perfect. <laughs> so we ended up just paying it all off in one lump sum, which yeah. brings me to that the idea. You have a mortgage right now, right? I do. Yeah. And we last year just paid off our mortgage. And that's one of those. Is it a mistake that we've done that? <laughs> and not taking the yeah. money and it, because you've made a very conscious decision and it's under advisement from your financial advisors too, I presume, um, mm -hmm. to leverage having some debt. Yep. Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, the way we thought about it was interest rates are so incredibly low. And in fact, we refinanced already. Uh, after nine months because really? we could wow. drop it even more. So the closing and costs made it? They were so low. Wow. They were so low. It was outrageous. Um, you know, it was, it was $2,000 out of pocket to close this, this second loan. And, you know, we dropped our, our interest rate from uh, 3.5 to 2.625. So wow. in aggregate, that's a healthy savings over the life of a, of a 30 year loan. So, so that's yeah. You took you know, a 30 year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they're 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 big proponents of take take the thirty year loan. You if you are in the situation where you want to pay it off sooner and pay off more, that's great. Especially in your forties, you know that to to your question, right? Emotionally, it it may feel so important to you to pay off that loan. Yep. Why not? Right. <laughs> I'm not choosing to do that. I'm not paying extra yeah. right now. Um, that may change. Right. We start bringing in more income. Sure. Maybe I will put it towards principal. But right now. Um, you know, I, I look at this as it's something just fine. It's something that I had planned for. Yeah. Uh, it was always a part of the model. Uh, you, you may recall, we talked about like the, the idea of our mortgage plus our out-of-pocket health cost premiums needed to be less than our rent was in the Bay area. Right. And we have succeeded in that. So no, I don't really worry about it. Yes. Emotionally, the idea of owning the house outright is attractive, but that would have been obviously a ridiculous decision to take with our assets to just buy a house. Yeah. So we uh, had been paying for a number of years and 
you know, the payoff balance was definitely within reach. We had gone from a 30 to a 15 and, yep. you know, and it just it, month on month, we're like, does it make sense if we have this amount in the bank to really just keep carrying that? And we did it in February of 2020. So maybe a week and a half before everything shut down for the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, we got, we sort of wrote it off, had our little sort of, you know, mortgage burning party. We actually, we burned something in the wood stove. I don't actually know if it was some kind of formal paper or not, but (laughs) we burned it in the wood stove just because the kids are like, oh, we own the house now. We got to do something. Burn it down. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We've almost done that too, but that's another story. Having that burden off of us, and I know I knew the trade-offs, and I know being connected to the fire movement, the the kind of shade that people throw on on others for making that decision. They do. It felt good to me. I I can't tell you the kind of headspace that it freed up for me. And I mean, it's interesting because it allows me just to be more aggressive with a lot of other things. And so that allowed yeah, a, sure. a much more aggressive savings plan than I probably otherwise would have done. And so I think that's something that's not talked about that often, but I do. Yeah. It's worth mentioning, I think. And, it, you know, kind I of a, too. a similar thing with the business. I had that kind of revelation last year where I was just always carrying this runway. Yeah. I'm interested in this idea because you've mentioned it before. How did your runway get so long on savings with the business? Like seven years, I think you said. Was that just a extreme conservatism solely because you you were so sure you didn't want to work for anybody else ever again or did it just kind of get out of out of mind not thought about anymore like how active a decision was it to keep that much headroom um i mean it wasn't seven years worth of expenses i'll just say that it was no no i I just i meant you were building this runway over seven years it sounded like you you had said yeah i I, I, no, i always just i didn't i wasn't clear about it i always just kept a cash cushion in the business and it just kept growing uh as i started earning more and it just felt like it's like having the mortgage just like it's there I guess for me, when I first started out on my own, I didn't feel like I had a good handle on paying quarterly taxes. And when you have to project out over a year and you're a business that does client work, services work, the income stream can be really unpredictable. You know, like when I was first working with clients, some clients would take two months to pay, you know, or I would wait a month to to bill somebody and then they'd wait two months to pay. And that's, that's like a big, you need a big cushion to operate a business like that. So some of it was due to my, um, I, I guess inexperience and maybe my unwillingness to, to really step further out on the, on the ledge than I think felt like I already was. Um, but it just doesn't, I, I think, you know, through the refocusing that you kind of helped me do with on personal finance and, and thinking about every little aspect of my financial life, that was one of the most glaring errors just, and it also comes with confidence that like, if you are pretty yeah. sure you're going to make income the next month and, and I don't know that that comes right away, you know, year three, I think you could have talked to me and I would have thought, yeah, it's working, but it could work better. And yeah. if it doesn't, if it stops working, I don't really want to have to go to option, you know, plan B. Um, yeah. When in reality, you know, all of this is about just jumping out of the plane without a parachute and building the set of wings on the way down. It's just what you yeah. do. And it's very comfortable for me now. And so maybe that's the other reason why I just looked at that sum of money and I was like, 
this just this could be better used elsewhere. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well. Well. And I think what I what I was thinking as you were saying that was the difference between mistakes and missed opportunities, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you could easily. Yeah. I mean, I can I can sit here and justify the purchase of the Tesla. Right. I can say, you know, look, if you're not living, what are you doing? And I, and I wanted that car for a lot of reasons, and I had never bought a vehicle like that, um, you know. Yeah. And so it's a part of living. It's a decision, right? Could my portfolio be a lot bigger if I had that cash infusion in it six years ago? Of course. And over the long term, that's a lot of money. But at what point do you stop saying that about every single thing, right? right? Yeah. You, you need to have some living. You need to make the memories. You need to enjoy <laughs> life. You just need to make sensible decisions that are thoughtful, right? I mean, I, I, I think of you as a thoughtful person. I'm sure that you have those conversations with Laura about financial decisions, maybe more often now than you did earlier on when you didn't think about that stuff so actively, but well, man, it just reminds me of that. Gotta live. I, yeah. It's, it's, it's so funny because it's almost word for word. What Laura has said to me when I've zeroed in on some infinitesimal aspect of our spending for the month. You too, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Like, So when she used to go into the lab, they have this kind of little uh, Roscoe's. I mean, you used to work at the lab, so you know Roscoe's. It's just a place to go and get lunch or coffee or whatever. And so I would be going through kind of bank statements, like just, I and I did it infrequently, but I'd look through it and I'd be like, what is this? How are you spending $5 and 85 cents a day at Rosk? Like what, I mean, what do we have that's there? That's not in our house. Like, you know, and she's just like, leave me alone. (laughs) I'm a working professional. If I want a cup of coffee in the morning and in the afternoon and a bologna sandwich or whatever I want, I can get it. So (laughs) bugger off is what she said. And I was like, Oh, she's right. She is totally right. Because, but you know, when we were talking about this, we were talking about something the other day. She's like, you know, I feel like you tend, I tend to spend on the small things and you tend to spend on the real big things, you know, and and like the same points at the Jeep or, you know, I got a new camera. (laughs) I got a new 360 camera, which I love, you know? And, and I was like, Oh yeah. How about that gravel bike out there? <laughs> it's just like she forgets all. She just conveniently yeah. forgets those things. Well, Arwen was giving me crap about buying the drone, oh, and yeah. I, I said, "Look, here's the difference between me and your mother. Like your mother's like ongoing spending looks like this. My ongoing spending looks like this." <laughs> It's the same. And it's true. It's completely true. Because she, like, she has like a certain amount of like, I feel like she has like a, a, a mental budget of shoes and handbags that, that she needs to be purchasing on a regular basis. And they're not, neither are expensive, right? She's not a yeah. person with lavish tastes, but she needs to keep acquiring handbags and shoes. Dude. And I do not. And, but every so often I want a drone. So like my ongoing spending is very low. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like from a budgetary perspective, it's way better to have someone with a low level of predictable spending than to have somebody who infrequently just goes off the rails. It's so true. So, <laughs> so you're in a good you're in a good spot because there are people watching this who have people in their lives who just go freaking wild card every so often yeah. and blow a ton of money. And uh, that's not the case in either of our houses. So yeah. I think we do okay. It's a lot of mistakes are eye of the beholder kind of things, right? Yeah. Yeah. There are people who would say, 
having a financial advisor is a it's a drag on your portfolio and it's always a bad decision. It's a mistake. There are people who will say not you carrying carrying a mortgage into retirement is a mistake, right? Having any debt. Other people like to your point will say paying off your mortgage early when you could be investing that money is a mistake. Right, right. At the end of the day, there is an intersection of mathematics and emotions. And as long as you have done the math and seen the implications of taking decisions, you've done the right thing, right? And and it, it's a very comfortable place to be in, right? We, we wouldn't say that in our 20s. But sitting here in your 40s running <laughs> a successful business, you are able to say, I am going to choose to take this money and not – I'm not going to dollar cost average this lump sum across my portfolio. I'm going to pay off the mortgage because I have X thousand dollars left. And for me, that's a sensible decision because I know it's not going to derail my my FI goals. Yeah, it's not going to hurt. You know, yeah. you're, you're in a, a, a better place, a more privileged place to be able to say that just like I am to say, well, based on my portfolio size and my expected life – you know, my life uh, time. Okay. Carrying this mortgage. Yeah. This is not, this is not a risk. Yeah. I'm always selecting for optionality. And I think yeah. this is probably going to be a theme in what we talk about optionality and where you live yeah, and what you choose to do each day. And, you know, that's probably the pure definition of what Phi is to me and probably you It's like having options. Yeah. I think for sure. Yeah. That's, I was gonna say nimbleness has always been important to us. It's 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 very much one of the reasons um, that we didn't buy a house until we did, because we're sort of very comfortable with the fact that we don't know what's next and we want some freedom to be yeah. able to do that stuff. Options, yeah. Right? Options are big to us. Yeah, totally. I'm I was gonna ask you about your. Uh, you know, why the, you do it? When you got married for the second time, did you do a prenup? No. Not at all. Financial Actually, mistake number 48. No, definitely not. <laughs> I have I have no concerns about that. But I will say when we got married the second time, we did not have a spendy wedding. Yeah. And, um, you know, we we were lucky to have family who wanted to 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 pay for things in our reception. And we had a, a nice but not insanely expensive honeymoon. And, yeah, we've you know, we're. we're I actually something I, I, I kind of wanted to say, I mean, it's like I hesitate to give advice on this point, but for people who are listening to this and thinking about saving and, and maybe financial <laughs> independence, like a wedding is a one day thing and it's, it's a part of one day thing. Like in my mind, in my opinion, I don't think that's a great place to spend a ton of money. So when I hear about these $25,000, $50,000 weddings, I kind of lose my mind. Oh yeah, totally. Because Bad investment. It's, it's a it's not an investment. It's a it's purely an expense. I mean, uh, it, I mean, you could say like you're gaining very happy memories out of. Of course you are. But are they going to be that much happier than if if you have a more modest ceremony and spend maybe more on a, a trip that you're gonna, you definitely will remember forever or you know it's whatever. One of those I don't things. know. I mean, I it feel makes like me so anxious. I feel like it's just every like, generation has this discussion with their, you know. The up and coming generation. I feel like it's just a rite of passage. You're going to be having the same conversation with Arwen that I'm going to be having with my kids when it comes wedding time. I can almost guarantee it. I think it's, I think it's just, you just don't learn those lessons until, I mean, it's one, you know, I was saying to Henning the other day, I was like, you know what it's like to work for a whole summer, right? And you earn a couple of thousand bucks and we're about to spend a couple of thousand bucks 
on tires and rims. Okay. You ready, yep. ready to work a whole summer. And then you push a button and that's your whole summer. <laughs> yep. That's such an adult decision though. Like seeing that kind of thing like now, cause that's reality, right? Like when you have to pay for a roof or like the, the, furnace, the furnace goes, yeah. it's always like these huge thing. expenses. It's just like, Oh, and like, the, also it. the furnace always goes at Christmas. Of course it does. <laughs> like why would it go any other time? That's when mine went. Yeah. So brutal. Oh. It's like two days before Christmas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Again, you don't want to live anywhere cold anymore. I don't want to live anywhere cold anymore. Problem solved, right? Well, I own a house in a cold climate, man. As we go into our fifties together here, what, what do we not see coming? I mean, that's the thing that if I look back at yeah. each one of these sort of prior decades that I can point to something that I was really blind to. And how do we, <laughs> how do we yeah. move forward and, and still, be educated on this. I mean, we just listen to, to people older than us or what? What do we do? Long-term care is something that, that oh, gives yeah. me a little pause. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people who know a lot more about it than I do. And it seems like there's not really necessarily anything to do now. I mean, the types of policies that, that may make sense, depending upon what costs look like, really don't make sense to start getting into until you're in your 50s anyway. Yeah. So there's nothing to do right now except maybe think about, you know, actually do some research on how much those costs vary in different areas that we might want to live eventually. Um, and because that may play into decisions on where we live, right? And that's something to think about later on. It's not necessarily a today in my mid 40s decision, late 40s. But you but, feel like uh, you have all the financial systems I do. working in the right way. I think so. Yeah. I do. I mean, you're not worried yeah, about no, inflation or, you know, where you have your assets parked that it not, it's just going to no. erode. I mean, like you don't have half your wealth in your liquid net worth in Bitcoin or something like that. No, I'm real. I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like the, the, the point of this show is not for me to defend my decisions to work with financial anal, uh, financial planners for the last six or seven years. But, you but do. I bring it up because. <laughs> I have a comfort level that I know I likely would not have had if I went it the whole way alone because I either wasn't able to or wasn't yeah, but you're talking taking about, the time to. I mean, I don't know if they're listening to this, but you're talking about firing them. So into your 50s, you're going to be on your own. It's more a question of when does it make sense to go on your own, right? Uh, many people would have said, you know, yesterday. Um, especially in the fire community where it's really not looked upon favorably to get outside assistance I mean, at, a, at yeah. an expense. And you, right? you just for me, it's worth a lot. It's yeah. worth a lot to me from in terms of. But you also secure. justify it enough that I feel like you are thinking harder about it than maybe you'll let on. Oh, no, there's no question that I have thought about it since, you know, since pulling the trigger on leaving work. Right. It's like, OK, well, how dynamic is my portfolio are really going to be at this point like what right. i'm not going to be making big moves exactly. right i'm making allocation adjustments tax advantage you know choices even but, if you um, did nothing yeah you'd be okay but you're but it's still you know tapping out based on what you told me pretty yeah. significant sum of money yeah sure but i i think for me it's also about timing you know i've still got some some income to deal with this year uh, yeah. which is a good problem to have. So you have a more um, complex situation maybe that would call for it. It's in some ways, it's similar to the runway that I kept. 
Because yeah, sure, I think that's a good analogy. It it may not be a sum of money that somebody else would look at and say you're doing the right thing with that, but for me, it's what helped me make other decisions that got me to where I am today. And I think you know I don't ever criticize you for for that approach because I I can see the confidence that it's brought you. And I yeah. mean, I also listen to those guys, so I know how smart they are. And if I thought I could afford to work with them, I probably would just for, for all the same reasons that you talk about, because you want someone who has just a different level of knowledge and someone with a fresh set of eyes to be looking at this in a way that you're not capable of. I'm sure they headed you off from mistakes you would have made otherwise. And they did. They're probably mistakes you could have recovered from in some aspects. And maybe, maybe you don't fully appreciate how much they've actually improved your portfolio. I mean, that's probably one thing that people don't talk a lot about because it's a really hard thing to measure. Yeah, no. And I do, I do think they have. And I mean, I have in certain years have objective data that they did right performance of my portfolio versus a total market portfolio or versus a, you know, whatever an 80, 80, 10, 10 portfolio, you know, would pick, pick your thing. I've actually done some of those comparisons. (laughs) Of course you have. Of course I have. Right. You know me, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we we could do a show about that another time, but okay. it, it I do get I do still get a lot out of it. There's a big difference between comfortably financial independent and overwhelming abundance and you know superstar wealth (laughs) when you're at that level you don't ever have to think about any purchase yeah but even though we find ourselves in a very comfortable situation right and able to be financially independent it's not like we're just you know got the money gun out and we're shooting (laughs) it everywhere you've still got to be fiscally responsible especially (laughs) if you are planning for the worst case that i am which is living another 50 years right Uh, you you have to be you have to you have to be smart you know yeah you've got the freedom to spend but that freedom uh, has limits join us as the conversation continues next time on two sides of fi if you've enjoyed the show please consider rating it at apple podcasts or wherever you listen for show notes resources and links to the video version please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com